morning. Well, we are in uh, number two of our series that is titled Twisted, and we're talking about the most misused verses in the Bible. Uh, we kicked this series off last week, and uh, uh, you know, as we said, there's a lot of people who, you know, they, they, they love the Bible, yes or no? I mean, who in here loves the Bible? By a show of hands, good. And I, and I hope that... I hope that we will continue to have that love for the Bible. If you have your Bible with you that you love so much, go ahead and open it up uh, first to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then put a marker there. And then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So 1 Corinthians 10 and then 2 Corinthians 1. You know, as we said last week, a lot of people, they, they go to the Bible as a source of comfort, as a source of encouragement, as a, a source of, of strength, as a source of, of, of life. You know, and that's, a, that's, that's great because that's what the Bible does. It, it gives us all of those things. Sometimes we go to the Bible when we need to be disciplined, when we need to, to learn and to be exhorted and need to be trained a little bit because the Bible can, can have things to say about the different areas in our life where, where we might need to make some adjustments. And, and it's, it, it's great that we have this word that we refer to as the, 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 the Word of God. But sometimes, if we are not careful, we can pull a verse straight out of its context. We pull it straight out of its original uh, meaning, its original audience, its original intent, all of those things, and it can cause us uh, it can cause us some problems. And a lot of times what we do is we'll take a verse and we will pull it out of its context and we'll apply it to a situation in life that may not have even existed when the original author wrote it all of those years ago. And so that's what we're doing through this series. We're going to be spending some time looking at the, the most misused verses in the Bible. Now I said last week that really this series was going to be based on you and based on your reaction. And I got such a, an overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive response from you that you know, we'll keep this going for, uh, for a few weeks as we look at some of these things. But I really appreciated your feedback. I really appreciated your, uh, your encouragement as we, we talked about these things. Well, as we began last Sunday, we started with looking at the danger of one verse theology. Now then, you know, we all have our favorite Bible verses, yes or no? Yeah, we all have our favorite ones. We go to them, we lean on them, they pull us through in, in times of comfort, and we, we should continue We should continue to do that, but sometimes if we pull it out and, and, and don't have the right context, there can be a little bit of, of danger in that. Sometimes we'll pull a verse out of context and, you know, it allows us to hear what we want to hear. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that with Scripture? 
I know I have. When I wanted to do something or didn't want to do something, I could probably find a verse and, and proof text my way either into something or out of something, uh, depending on what it was that I wanted or, or didn't want to do. But pulling a verse out of context also, it can offer a, a sense of false hope to people. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, and as we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, pulling a, a verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture out of its context can sometimes cause the Bible to contradict itself. Okay? And that can be, you know, that can be a, a dangerous place to find ourselves in. Uh, it also can allow us to manipulate a, a, a verse, um, uh, a verse that we can use to sometimes to our own detriment, sometimes to the to the detriment of others. Uh, I was talking with uh, with Ken and with John after uh, church was over last Sunday, and they were talking about this series and how much they appreciated it, and they were really encouraging to me. And they were just talking about you know sometimes. You can uh, be talking with somebody and you have a disagreement and then somebody will pull out a Bible verse and pull it straight out of its context, straight out of what it originally meant, but it seems to fit for that given situation to win that argument and they'll throw that thing in there and people will get mad and they won't talk to each other. Well, that's just some of the inherent danger of taking a verse of Scripture and ripping it out of its context and then applying it uh, in a way that it was never intended to be Used. And so we'll just, we'll just review for a little bit. Last week we said right off the bat that what? Context is key. Yes, yeah, say it with me one more time. Context is key. That is it, and that is so important. We have to read Scripture. We have to read Scripture in its context. I really appreciate the way uh, Ed took us through communion a few minutes ago. Because he set up the context. He set up the background of it. He, and this morning as, as we were in here kind of before we got started, he was talking about the authorship and John Mark and uh, all of these different things surrounding the book. And, you know, he took us to why there was a tomb that Jesus had to be rolled away from. I and mean, where did Jesus get a tomb from? And he told us that it was Joseph of Arimathea who, who provided that tomb. And he set up the context for us, you know, and that, that helps us to understand the story that much better. And so uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and hopefully, as you studied your Bible over the past week, that you thought about some of these things. You looked more into the context. And we talked about this, that the Bible, you know, it was not written to us, but it is written for us. And it's got some very good things that we can apply in our life. We talked about the ABCs, the author, who wrote the passage, the background, when and where did the author live, and the, the context, how does... Uh, the passage fit with what before what comes before and after. Well, that's exactly what Ed was doing. He was showing us the reason Jesus came out of the tomb was because somebody took the time to go to an official and say, "Hey, look, I've got this tomb. Can we have his body? Can we place him in it?" You know, he he took us through those things. So I really, really appreciate uh, the way that that Ed did that. Uh, we also talked about the W's. That you know who. Uh, was the author and who is the audience? When was uh, was the passage written? Why was it written? And then finally, finally, what were what were they trying? What were they trying to say? We know last week. Uh, last week we looked at what are probably the two leading victims when it comes to pulling a scripture out of its context. We looked at Jeremiah 
29.11. We looked at Philippians 4.13. And it's, you know, when you pull those verses out of context, a couple things happen. Number one, with Jeremiah 29.11, it gives us some, some very bad theology. Okay, because you read this verse, you know, there's a lot of people that, that anchored down to a verse like that and said, hey, God's got a plan for you. He's going to take care of you. His plan's not to harm you. His plan's to make you prosperous. And it sounds like, well, great. God's just, you know, everything's going to be great. Life's going to be good. And there's going to be no hardships. And he's going to bless me. God wants me to be prosperous. You know, and a lot of people have really abused that verse. They've taken that verse, and that's where the, you know, the, that's where the, uh, uh, the, the wealth, the health and wealth gospel kind of comes from. It comes from one of those verses, uh, from, a, from a verse just like that. But when we took the verse and we put it back in its context, what did we realize? That verse ain't talking to me. That verse was talking to the Israelites who were in captivity. And God was saying, look, you're in captivity. You've blown it, but it's not over. Okay, While you're, you're suffering the consequences of your choices right now, I have a plan for you, trust me. You go on and you, you, you build your houses. You go on and you have your children. You let your children get married and grow up and have their houses. But I'm going to take care of you and one day I'm going to bring you back and you know, you're going to be my people and I'm going to, I'm going to be your, your, your God. And the same with, you know, with, with uh, Philippians 4.13. You know, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Man, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? That is such a powerful verse of Scripture, but it's not about, it's not about you know, the, finding the strength to win the game or to, to close the deal or, or whatever it is. It's about finding, finding the strength. Finding the strength and commitment to hold on to our faith in circumstances that are less than ideal. You know, the, the time to use a verse like that is in difficult circumstances. Okay, when life gets tough, when we lose a loved one, when we lose a job or we go into ruin or we have a family member who does something horrible or we go through a divorce or whatever the hardship is in life. Okay, because that was the, the context in which Paul wrote that. He said, all of these bad things that I'm dealing with, all the bad things that I've done, I can still, I can be joyful. I want you to be joyful. I want you to rejoice always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And Christ Jesus gives me the strength. He gives me the strength to deal with whatever situation I find myself in. Whether I've got a whole lot or whether I've got absolutely nothing, Christ Jesus gives me, He gives me the strength to find, to find that contentment. Okay, and that's, that's what he does. So let's just, let's just jump right in it, and let's, look at, uh, let's, uh, let's just jump right in and look at our text for today. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that one? Yes, that's from the book of First Opinions, 4, verse 6, because it is not in the Bible. Okay? But people quote that thing like it is Scripture. Okay, God will never give you more than, than you can handle. And it's, it's not only, not only is this verse pulled out of context, it's misquoted. It's, I mean, it's not even a, a, a little bit 
right. It's completely ripped out. It's completely changed. And it's when we do this, when we misquote a verse, this is where we get into the, the danger of forcing the Bible to, to contradict itself. You know, this verse, is, it's, often, it's often quoted and it's passed off as Scripture by, by well-meaning and sincere people. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know it's, it's, it's mentioned to those that are, are going through difficult times and going through tough times. You know, but to, to misquote this verse, it communicates that, well, nothing bad is, is ever going to happen to us. Or, or at least, at least it, it, it communicates that God won't give us more than than we can deal with. But it is possible, it is possible to be well-meaning and and twist Scripture. It is possible to be very sincere, but be sincerely wrong. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and I I think the reason we we do this and we quote things like this in, in, in difficult situations, somebody's going through something, has a hardship or something, and we'll tell them, hey, look, just hang on, you know, I, I know it's bad, but God's not going to give you more than you can handle. I think maybe one of the reasons we, we say things like that is maybe we just don't know what to say. We don't know, we're not sure, we're not sure what to say, and so, hey, that sounds good, that, that, that's probably in the Bible, I'll, I'll say it. You know, and I know, I, you know, I know I've, I've said that before. I know that I have told somebody, hey, God will never, he'll never give you, he'll never give you more than, than you can handle. But it kind of, it puts God in a, in, a, in a weird position. Because this quote is found nowhere in the Bible. And not only that, it actually, it, it contradicts things that are in the Bible. Okay. This verse says God will never, or this misquoted verse says God will never give you more than you can handle. All right? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul's opening his second letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Does that sound like God won't give you more than you can handle? Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, look, when we were doing mission work in Asia, Things were so bad that we despaired of life. We had given up hope of surviving the situation. Okay, things were that bad. The cards were that stacked against us that we just gave up any hope of even surviving this thing. That's that's how bad it got. Things were were that, that difficult. Remember, uh, remember our friend Job in the Old Testament? He's got some, got some things to say about this. He's uh, gone through, uh, through everything. He's uh, lost his family. He's lost everything. And his friends, they came, and, and for a while they didn't say anything. And then they started talking. Okay, and then Job starts responding. Now the best thing they did is they came and they just didn't say a word. 
And you know, here's a, here's a lesson in that. When you don't know what to say in a difficult situation, sometimes just being there, just sitting with somebody, just being a presence and, and being a sounding board and letting them, if they need to scream or if they need to vent, if they need to cry, if they need a shoulder, uh, if, if, you know, if they need you to, to get in their face, whatever, you know, they'll tell you, but let them sort of determine you know, what they need at that time. A lot of times, just because we don't know what to say, we end up saying things that can be more hurtful or, or more harmful. We end up saying things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And so Job is, is, is writing, or, or he's, he's responding to his friends, and in, in, in verse 8, you don't have to look it up, I'll just read it to you, chapter 6. He says, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope. Now that sounds like a great verse, doesn't it? That God would, would hear me. That He would grant my request. Job, that sounds great. What is your request? That it would please God to crush me. That He would let loose His hand and, and cut me off. Job is saying, life is, is so difficult the things that I am going through, that I am enduring, they are so bad that the greatest prayer in my life is that God would just snuff me out. That He would just, 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 let, me, just let me go. You know what I've noticed? Is that people that are, are handling things they don't typically have death wishes. You know what I'm talking about? And so when you, you look at what Paul was going through, you look at what Job dealt with to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that, that puts God in a, in a tough place, doesn't it? Because Scripture, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't say that. Last week, we looked as we're looking at, at Philippians 4.13, we were talking about all the different hardships that, that Paul had gone through, that he had faced. and you know, He had been in prison. Uh, he had been shipwrecked. He had uh, numerous threats on his life. He had numerous attempts on his life. He had been whipped. He had been beaten. He had, people had tried to put him to death by, by stoning him, and it's after all that stuff, after he's gone through all that stuff, and then even into imprisonment, is when he writes, I can do all things through, through Christ Jesus who, who strengthens me. His letter that he wrote to the Philippian church is really fascinating. As he's encouraging them to be joyful, as he's encouraging them to find contentment, because it was in Philippi that one of these awful, awful, terrible things happened to him. We read about it in, in Acts chapter 16. Paul and, and Silas and uh, probably Luke and Timothy are, are, in, um, are in Philippi and one day Paul and Silas are going to the, to the marketplace or the bazaar or, or whatever it is and they're going about their daily routine and there's this slave girl that gets in behind them and she starts kind of proclaiming who these guys are, you know, servants of the Most High and and all of this stuff, and uh, I, I can just sort of imagine Paul kind of letting that go for a little while, 
But then in a moment of frustration, you can just sort of see him turning and, and, and casting that demon out of that little girl. Because he didn't want the demons of God proclaiming in, in a mocking way of, of who they follow and who their masters are. And so I can just, as I, as I read that story, I see her just following along behind them. She's just harassing them, harassing them, harassing them. And she, Paul turns in a moment of frustration and just exercises that demon. He frees that little girl of what was going on inside of her, of that demonic activity. We think, praise God, what a, what a great and wonderful thing. But the owners of that little slave girl were furious because their livelihood is gone. Their only concern is that their way of making a living is gone. They had exploited this little girl using the demonic power within her to, to turn her into a fortune teller. And now that's gone. You know, here she is. She's free, she's whole, she's in her right mind, and to them, she's absolutely useless. We like her better the way she was. We like her better when she was a demon, because then we can exploit the fact that she is demon-possessed, and we can make money off of her. We can exploit this little girl. Now then, watch what happens. They get mad, and it says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they, they didn't escape. Now, that being beaten with rods was a, a terrible and an awful punishment. It's not something that, that we know much about because we just we don't experience things like that. But Tim Woodruff in his book, uh, A Distant Presence, uh, a narrative commentary on the book of Philippians, he says this about what it means to be beaten with rods. He says a beating with rods was intended not to cut, but to brutalize. The rods were brought down swiftly against the back, breaking the blood vessels deep in the muscles. As the blows rained down, the muscles pulverized and fell away from the ribs and the spine. The bleeding was so profuse, but contained within the muscle until by the end of the beating, the skin split and broke. It poured in clotted streams from the victim and it spattered his tormentors. That's what Paul endured at Philippi. And yet after that, he writes, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can find contentment in the best of circumstances and in the worst of circumstances. Can you imagine enduring what Paul had to endure, and this happened to him on three separate occasions. Now then, let me ask you something. Does all of these things, do all of these things sound like more, what, more than what one person can handle? Because it does to me.
You see, we live in this, this world that is, is, is broken. We live in a world where Satan has tremendous power and he brings on these afflictions and these horrible things that, that people have to deal with. As a result of, uh, of sin, we find ourselves broken and, and, and shattered. And there are, are people, and there's people here, there's people in this audience now, and people that, that go to church here that might be out on vacation this week, but there are people among us who have been through things that no person should have to go through. Am I right? There are people among us who are going through things right now that are more than one person should have to bear. But Satan is powerful and Satan is, is real. And he wants to inflict these things on us to, to separate us, to marginalize us, to feel worthless, to feel like we don't belong, to feel all of these different things that ultimately get us to, to step away from faith in our, our God. You see, and that's the danger with taking a verse like 1 Corinthians 10.13 and misquoting it and saying, in the midst, in the midst of, of something awful that somebody's going through, God will never give you more than you can handle. Because that's not what's that's not what's in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle. Any other? I think about the, the different things that I've gone through in my own life, and if somebody's ever said that to me, it's, it's, it's like, really? God must, you know, he must think I'm a superhero then. I know a lot of you would probably or could probably say the same thing. danger is telling someone that misquoting that verse and them saying well look I don't want anything to do with that God if he's giving me this and thinking I can handle it what, what's going to happen when he, if he really decides to unleash things on me I don't want any part of that so that's why we have to make sure that we're handling Scripture correctly. What that verse actually says is no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And that's it right there. That's the part that we misquote. We pull that out, and we pull, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, and we, what we stick in there is God will not give you more than you can handle. See, that's completely different. He says God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. You see, when you, you take that verse 
and you push it back into its context, you realize it's talking about something completely different. Paul is, is writing to the Corinthian church because evidently some of their, their people who had given their lives to Jesus, they've started uh, attending these, these festivals and these meals, these pagan rituals, things that they used to be a part of, but then they uh, gave their life to Jesus and they were freed from that stuff and they stopped doing it. But for some reason, some of them had started going back to that kind of thing. They're getting involved in these pagan rituals. And Paul is writing, he's saying, look, you guys don't need to be messing with that stuff. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, what Paul is doing is he's, 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 he is linking the Israelite story to things that they know about, to, to baptism and the Lord's Supper. For they drank from the, the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples to us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And the 23,000 fell in one single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who, who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry and he drops down look down to verse 19 he says what do I imply then that food offered to idols is is anything or that an idol is anything no I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God I don't want you to be participants with demons you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the, the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see, he's, he's saying, look, the stuff that you guys are stepping back into is wrong. You're going back into the idolatrous lifestyle that you were freed from when you gave your life to Jesus. And you're calling yourself a Christian now, and so you, you break bread with the church one day, and then you go to the pagan festival, and you eat the, the, the meat that's sacrificed to an idol the next. You can't break bread with the people one day, and then eat the meat sacrificed to, to pagan idols the next. He's saying, flee from your idolatry. 
Yeah, I know you're tempted. We're all tempted. Every person has been tempted. But God is, is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to deal with. And even when the temptations come, He will provide a, a way of escape. And so we see that, you know, that, that, that misquoting, you know, God will never put more on you than, than you can handle. It comes from a passage of Scripture that makes, would make no sense. And it's not in there at all. When we look at this, you know, we look at this, this, this passage, the message to us is that, you know, all people undergo temptation. Okay, we know that every single one of us, right? Every single one of us is tempted in some way. Now then, I'm not going to be tempted in the same way that you are, and you're not going to be tempted the same way as me or the person next to you, next to you, next to you. But every single one of us is tempted. That's what he's talking about. It's not uncommon to humankind. We're all tempted. Okay, Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. Yes or no? Remember when Satan came to him after his, his 40 days in the wilderness and he tried to tempt him? Well, you talk about somebody quoting Scripture wrongly, twisting Scripture. Satan knew how to do that, didn't he? Even in the midst of the temptation, God is faithful. When we are tempted, God provides a way out. I can't tell you, and you, 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 can, you can relate to this, but I can't tell you how many times where I've been tempted to do something or tempted to say something. And it's almost in that split second. It's like the Holy Spirit goes into action and I'll think of something different. Or I'll think of the consequences. Or I'll think of what is this going to do to that person? Or what's it going to do to my witness? You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that? And that's the, that's the, that's the balance we live in. And I, I think that's, at least I think that's how this kind of works. It's amazing, too, that when I've been tempted to do something, that I'll see somebody or somebody will call me or, you know, one of my kids will come running in and it'll keep me from shouting something or, you know, something along those lines. God is showing me that there's a different way, there's a, a better way. Get out of that old, don't return to that old lifestyle. That's what he's telling these Corinthians. Not God will never give you more than you can handle. Flee from your idolatry. I know you're tempted, but I'll, uh, God will give you a better way. He'll, he'll show you a way out. And so we have to be careful not to pull these verses out of their context and, and number one, make them say one thing, but two, to completely misquote them. Because you see that how the mishandling of Scripture, it can, it can mess people up. And so we have to, and you know, and here's the thing. You know, I think maybe as a society we've gotten away from being people who study Scripture. We need to be the people who study Scripture. Okay? So that when people who don't study Scripture, people who are not Christians, raise a question or have a problem or have an issue, we've got something to say. And not just anything to say, we've got the right thing to say. Because we've been in the book, we've been in the Word, we've let it penetrate our hearts and our minds, we understand the context, 
and we know what, what, what we need to say. Nothing that's not, not, doesn't mean that's easy to do, but we have to be mindful. So here's the, the point that I would make this morning, it's simply this, is that misquoting Scripture contradicts the message. Misquoting Scripture contradicts the message. And so we have to make sure that we're, we're handling God's Word the right way. The way we do that, we spend time in God's Word. Okay, but you know, we live in a society that's so fast-paced and so busy and work and school and ball and commitments and band and you know, all of these other things, travel schedule, you know. Not that those things are not important, but a lot of times, you know what happens? Those things take priority over just sitting down and open up the Bible and saying, God, please meet me in your scriptures and then reading. You know? That's what happens. I don't think we do it intentionally. Anybody ever just intentionally thought, you know, I'm going to give up reading the Bible. People have done that. But I don't think sincere followers of Christ that love the Word of God, I don't think, I've got to give something up, I'll give up reading the Bible. I think it just happens over time. And as that happens, you know what happens? We lose our familiarity with the book. We lose our familiarity with the Word. And then what happens, oh, wait, wait, oh, life is going really bad for it. Man, uh, Scripture says something, something. God will never give you more than you can handle. Puppy just got smashed by a car right in front of you. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know where, but it's in there. It says it. See, that's, that's sort of the danger. And while that's funny, when we say things like that to people that are really going through something, like their world is just crumbling around them, what do you think that does for their faith? God will never give me more than I can handle. Look at what I've lost. Look at what I'm dealing with. Look at what's happened to my family, my, my, my friend, my co-worker. Look at what's happening in my marriage. To miss quote scripture is to contradict what the Bible says. We have to be people that are so dedicated to the word of God that we know the word of God and that we can use it to help people and to lift people up. You know, when you tell them, you know, I, I know a story about a guy named Paul. And let me tell you about what he went through. And there was this time he was shipwrecked. There was a time these people wanted to kill him. There was this one time where he healed this girl and they beat him with rods to within an inch of his life. Sometimes he had a lot, sometimes he had a little, but you know what? Even in the midst of all of that, he was still content with his circumstances. And he knew that even in the midst of all of that, Jesus was going to give him the strength to be content in all of that. You see, and that's, that's how we do it. But it starts when we get in here and we study the Word and we 
put it into our, our hearts. And then we can share it with those who have need. Every one of us has a need. You know, there's not any of us that, that don't have a need. God is faithful to his people. He's so faithful that he sent his son to die on a cross for us when he definitely did not deserve to. And he loves us so much that he gives us the opportunity to have eternal life just because he loves us. You know, if God was fair, I don't think he would do that. Right? I don't think God's a fair God. You know why I don't think God's a fair God? Because he hasn't destroyed me yet. If he was fair, he probably should have wiped me out a long time ago. But he loves us. Maybe he's so unfair that he sacrificed his son for us. Well, that's not fair, is it? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't sacrifice one, either of my boys for anybody. But God did. Also, we can do this. And he doesn't, what's really amazing about that is he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make us jump through all these hoops. And he doesn't even require that much of us. Believe. Love me. Follow me. And I'll give you eternal life. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be baptized into his name. And you know what the blessing of baptism is? The forgiveness of sin. That's the benefit of it. The command is be baptized. The benefit, the blessing, is you'll get this in return. Sins washed away. Holy Spirit dwells inside you. Comforter, counselor, guide. He never intends us to bear burdens that we bear. We do. We keep them. We like to hold on to our burdens. They, for some reason, we find comfort in them. You know what I'm talking about? We don't like to let those things go, or we like to pick them back up as soon as we set them down. Jesus came to free us from all of those things. Okay? And that when we give our life to him, he frees us from our sins. He frees us from our, our burdens. Life will, will still carry on, and life will still have its ups and downs. It'll still have stuff in it that's bad. But when we have Jesus, we have hope and resurrection. We have the hope of a, a future, of a, a, a home in heaven with God. We have the ability to be content no matter what our circumstances. And say, no matter what, 
no matter what, I can be content because Jesus gives me the strength in this difficult time to go through it. That's what God does. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if you need to set down a burden today, you can do that and leave it at the foot of the cross. If you need to be baptized into the name of Jesus right now, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? Everyone.